Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone, and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Thanks to everyone who supports Daily Tech News Show directly. To find out more, head to dailytechnewsshow.com slash support. This is the Daily Tech News for Friday, July 13th. <gasps> Friday the 13th, my lucky day, 2018. In Los Angeles, I'm Tom Merritt. And from Sonoma County at my mother's house, I'm Sarah Lane. Oh. And from the House of Destruction, I'm Allison Sheridan. What's the House of Destruction? What's that about? <laughs> well, we have destroyed our entire downstairs. My house looks like the set of Dexter with plastic all over the walls. And it's uh, so much dust that our smoke detectors went off. Oh, wow. Okay. So remodeling hell is what that sounds like. Yeah. 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 So you might hear, I don't know, some saws cutting up tile and stuff like that, which would be nice for the audio sure. listeners. As long as you have a code for your dark passenger, we won't ask any questions. <laughs> uh, producer Roger Chang is here as well. Roger, how fare ye? I fare average. We have meaty <laughs> topics to bring you above average, Roger. Ooh. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. Yesterday during the show, news broke that the U.S. Department of Justice filed an appeal of the decision to allow anti Warner. If it prevails in court, the merger, which closed a month ago now, would have to be undone. The DOJ said on June 12th it wouldn't seek an injunction to stop the merger, but was still considering whether or not to appeal. So now we know what it decided. AT&T and Time Warner? Question mark. <laughs> Well, the U.S. Department of Commerce officially lifted the ban on U.S. companies selling goods to China's ZTE. The Commerce Department and ZTE reached an agreement last month involving changes in leadership, payment of a $1 billion fine, and placing of $400 million in escrow for up to 10 years against future violations. Uh, on a more positive note, Epic Games announced that due to the success of Fortnite, it's going to raise the percentage of money it gives developers from its Unreal Engine marketplace. Developers used to get 70% of what the game sold for in the marketplace. Now they get 88%, and the new rate applies retroactively to all products going back to the launch of the marketplace in 2014. That's crazy. Who does that? They do. 
Sources tell the information that within 18 months, Amazon Web Services plans to sell customers white box networks open source software and have built in connections to AWS cloud services as well. Supposedly, Amazon could charge 70 to 80 percent less than comparable switches go. How about that? Yeah. So giving Cisco a run for their money by selling their own switches. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the Emmys, Allison, because it's good news for over-the-top services. It's crazy. Netflix received 112 Emmy nominations, slightly ahead of HBO's 108, and breaking HBO's 17-year streak as the most nominated network. Among the Netflix shows getting nominated were Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Glow, The Crown, and Stranger Things. Jason Bateman, Jason Bateman also got nominated for Ozark, and the USS Callister episode of Black Mirror got a nod. Hulu got 27 nominations, 20 of which were for Handmaiden's Tale, making it the third most nominated show behind Westworld and Game of Thrones. Amazon got 22 nominations. Only 10 years ago was HBO's domination of non-broadcast Emmys broken by Mad Men, Damages, and Dexter. The Emmys will be awarded September 17th with hosts Colin Jost and Michael Che. Also... NBC was number three. They were in the list, too. Well, good for them. They employ my wife. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them. Uh, that, it is pretty crazy to, to think how we've gone, you know, HBO winning an Emmy back in the 90s was huge, or even getting nominated. Uh, then non-HBO cable networks starting to get nominated was huge only 10 years ago. And now the cord-cutting services are dominating the Emmys because they're making quality programs. Absolutely. HBO has has been making some of my favorite years, and it has HBO. But for those who do, it's like you start to think of it as, well, this is why people pay for high quality programs. Every single thing that HBO puts up, I'm usually going to. But Netflix just has so many now, and this is not surprising. Good seventeen. Your nominated network. Uh, that is uh, that, that, that's a good one, but it was bound to change eventually. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed, and Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model in the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. 
From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and 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 we're, we're having a little trouble hearing you, Sarah, so I apologize uh, oh, okay. to the listeners for that. There was a little breakup in the uh, the connection there. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read the next one. Uh, just to make sure that it that it gets out smoothly. Uh, Microsoft President Brad Smith wrote a blog post calling on the U.S. Congress to regulate facial recognition. Smith called it the technology of the moment with broad societal ramifications and potential for abuse. Smith called on the U.S. Congress to create a bipartisan commission of experts to assess how the technology should be used and advise on laws to regulate it. A few things Smith thinks should be addressed— Use by authorities, how they how it should be used, uh, prevention of racial profiling, accuracy performance minimums, and whether to obtain consent from individuals. He wrote, this should build on recent work by academics and in the public and private sectors to assess these issues and to develop clear ethical principles for this technology. Uh, I, he admits in his blog post, Allison, that, that it is unusual for a, a company to advocate for its own regulation uh but it seems if if you look at how he wrote it that this is coming from the use of facial recognition or the potential use of facial recognition and immigration enforcement and the heat microsoft took for providing technology to ice which he makes clear again in this blog post was only maintenance of existing systems for things like email etc and had nothing to do with any of the uh, facial recognition that they're working on. I, I also found it interesting. He said he compared them to the regulations that the um, the car industry used to have uh, used to complain about. But now they're really happy with having, you know, it, we think it's perfectly normal to have all of these regulations for automobile manufacturers. And he was saying, you know, there's time to to just step up and do this on your own. And and we really need to have this. I I was also intrigued by the uh, differences they talked about with facial recognition for people of color and all of the problems they've had with that. Um, It's it's interesting of all the scary, wild things we talk about with A.I., this is this is somewhat different. And yet, just as big of a topic that maybe does need to be regulated, I just, man, I wouldn't want to be the the one to try to figure out how to write a law about it, because by the time you get started, it's going to change what it can do, right? Well, and I think that's why he's he's created such a, a long and carefully written post, is to say, let's get ahead of this one. Uh, we're, we're on our back foot when it comes to algorithms. Uh, we're on our back foot when it comes to abusive social networks and bots. Let's not be on our back foot in regards to facial recognition and whatever the reason that it's gotten to the top of his his priority list, uh, I think it's a good thing to say, yes, let's create a panel that everyone can agree is built of people who know how this works. Let's involve all the stakeholders, the public, the elected representatives and the companies and say these are let's acknowledge right from the beginning. These are very thorny issues and we need to do a lot of work to figure out appropriate answers yeah, to them. I, I like that he's not pretending that he has the answers. Yeah. And he also said, OK, some people are going to say, oh, you should do self-regulation. We don't need more regulation. He says, well, that's great. Let's say five of the big companies all follow this, these agreed upon things we're going to do, but then everybody else doesn't. Well, then that doesn't do you any good, right? It's it's too deep and too broad and too important to just let it be uh, voluntary and and uh, like you say, too wrought with danger. I think. Yeah, yeah, um, for for sure. And uh, so, so I mean, 
there's a lot of good that can be done with facial recognition. He covers those things like here's how it can help you, but he doesn't avoid the bad things. Here's how it can be abused. Uh, if you have the time, this is just a really good summary of the state of where facial recognition is. And he even admits that Apple exists and mentions the iPhone. So it's <laughs> he's not being like just all pro Microsoft, uh, although he doesn't mention Google. So maybe there is a little uh, partisanship in there. I don't know. Yeah, it, it might be. Hey, it's not just us. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like as any business, certainty and stability, especially in the legal environment, is paramount because you need to be able to plan a lot of these, especially with innovation. You need to be able to plan four, five, ten years out, and you don't necessarily want to have a hodgepodge of uh, different legal uh, rulings and environments when you can just, like as Allison was alluding to, where you can have with the car industry just a set of federal guidelines that everyone adheres to, and they say, okay, this is what we have to work with. We can plan around this, and then we can move forward. Well, let's move to a much simpler and less controversial topic. <laughs> U.S. Special Counsel Robert Mueller obtained an indictment against 12 Russian intelligence officers for allegedly using spear phishing and malware infections to access email accounts and computer networks of the Democratic National Committee uh, in, in a few different uh, instances and the Hillary Clinton campaign. The conspirators are alleged to be behind the DC leaks and Guccifer 2.0 accounts. Two of the officers are further accused of conspiring to attack computers of state boards of election, secretaries of state, and companies that supply election technology. Uh, and as a result, copying information for around 500,000 U.S. voters. The indictment does not find that the actions altered vote counts or election results, and no U.S. citizens are accused of any crimes or conspiracies. Eleven of the Russian defendants are charged with conspiracy to commit computer crimes, eight counts of aggravated identity theft, and conspiracy to launder money. And then one of those eleven and another defendant are charged with a separate conspiracy to commit computer crimes, uh, and and that that involves those other charges there about the attacks on election boards. So. We're not going to talk about what effect this has on the president or the Senate or the Congress or the campaigns or anything like that. We'll leave that. To, there seem to be plenty of people talking about that these days. I don't think you'll have a hard time finding a take on that. Uh, but we did want to talk about uh, what actually went down. And, and in that respect, it's a fairly mundane attack. Uh, it is a state-sponsored attack. It's an advanced persistent threat. It is it is from the intelligence agencies, according to the Mueller investigation. Uh, but it's not using sophisticated methods to get this. This is not a Stuxnet. Uh, this is just a typical spear phishing campaign, the kind of which happen all the time to corporate entities. And I found that fascinating, Allison. It's the mostly mostly bag of water. What is that exact quote problem? Ugly right? bags of mostly water. Is that yeah, the Star Trek reference? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it is interesting to me that they were able to identify so specifically who did this. So it's not like vaguely, oh, we think Russia did it. It is this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Here's yeah, the first, names, right? first, middle and last names. Here's who they are, what their job was. I mean, that is a fair amount of intelligence gathering to go beyond just knowing that something got hacked to then finding uh, the results of exactly how they did it, what tools they used and who was behind it. That's that's a lot more than just, uh, you know, scanning a network for vulnerabilities or for for intrusion detection. Right. 
and we've been ringing the alarm bells of companies need to pay, take security seriously. Companies need to do more to stop social engineering. Just building a castle around, you know, a moat around your network is not enough uh, because the vulnerabilities are not just technical. They're also human. Uh, and this is after years of saying that we've been saying in one of these days, it's going to cause a real, a bigger problem. This is an example of that. This is a major political party not properly securing its servers, not properly training its people to prevent these kinds of attacks. The, I, I, again, I go back to that. Like, I think one of the reasons to tie our two comments together, Allison, one of the reasons it's, it's, was, it was, they were able to figure out exactly who did it is these aren't sophisticated attacks. They also leave tracks. Yeah. So I I am never going to be the person who says that we need to just train people better because I am incredibly aware of this whole situation. I had an employee of mine when I ran an IT organization in a big government contractor. I had an employee who was... um, uh, like a white hat hacker, and I sent him off to DefCon, and I and he he did the capture the flag contest. He did ex- incredibly well and everything. And then I went to a conference, and I met the woman who invented YubiKey. And so she gave me one of them, and I brought it back to work, and I gave it to this guy, and I said, "Hey, let's check this thing out. The YubiKey is a is a keyboard, but you put your finger on it, and it types in a code." So he took it from me, and he stuck it in his computer, and all of a sudden we both went. <gasps> I went to a conference. Met a foreign national, took a thumb drive looking <laughs> device and stuck it into a company computer with the guy that knew all about hacking. Yeah. We both just went, yep, everybody's screwed. There is no such thing Should as training not, to yeah. stop this from happening. Well, and, and, and that is a very well taken point. It's not just training. Training people better is not going to fix it because there's always going to be those instances. It takes it takes a lot of effort. I think that's the, that's the upshot of this, right? Like it can't be just like, oh, well, we've, we just trained people better. It'll stop this. It it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to the next story, I just want to make sure that no uh, attackers have been able to block Sarah Lane from speaking again. Well, I certainly hope you guys can hear me better yes, than last time. So much better. Oh, good. It it's you know I don't. We know. can hear all of the words now. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm so glad. I had such nice things to say too about uh, HBO and Netflix a few minutes ago. I guess you guys will just have to use your imagination. All right. Well, scientists Phil and Anthony Butler in New Zealand have performed the first CT scan on a person that results in a 3D color image. The device uses CERN's Metapix 3 tech, which supports, which incorporates particle tracking developed for the Large Hadron Collider. This is so cool. Traditional x-rays can only measure density and shape, but this new detector has small enough pixels and high enough energy resolution to measure fat, water, calcium, and other disease markers. A clinical trial using this machine in on uh, Christchurch orthopedic and rheumatology patients will start in the next few months. New Zealand company Mars Bioimaging, which is linked to the universities of Otago and Canterbury, will commercialize the technology. And we want to particularly thank uh, DM Max for submitting the story on our subreddit and the insightful comments from J.A. Corley, If MacDo, and M. Bradley. Yeah, uh, it was a, one of the best examples of a good Reddit discussion from, from those folks. Uh, helped me have a little better understanding because... You see the headline and it says 3D color image from an X-ray. Well, first of all, it's a CT scan, as one of them pointed out. And second of all, they're false colors. They're just assigning colors to wavelengths uh, that that make it look like a color picture. But that's still helpful. That's still really interesting because it helps you be able to tell things in more detail that you couldn't tell with just the straight black and white from a regular X-ray. Yeah. So the other thing that I, I love about this story is a lot of times we do science 
because we don't know what we're going to learn we're going to do with it. I mean, the Large Hadron Collider costs a whole lot of money, and it's like, well, who cares about the beginning of the universe? Why do we need to know about that? That's not going to help my life tomorrow. And here's a case of where it's going to help your life tomorrow because we built the Large Hadron Collider. And I say the we, the royal we, we as yeah, humanity yeah. built it. So I think that that really, uh, really highlights the the value of some of the science that we do in the world. And I like the tie into New Zealand because I'm going to talk about New Zealand later. Yeah, no, it's 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 a uh, it's it's a great point that that this is when you say like, why are we spending all this money on a super collider? This is just one example. We we didn't spend all the money on the super collider so that we could make a 3D color X-ray, <laughs> but it is one of the side effects, and you don't know what those side effects are going to be. That's one of the reasons you do science uh, for science sake is is to push forward the boundaries of human understanding. Well, right. okay. So if we, we talk about going back to traditional x-rays and the, you know, the whole black and white quality, and I try to think of it as like, yeah, I mean, if somebody is colorblind, there are all sorts of color details that just aren't going to show up if something is a shade of gray. And I, like you mentioned, Tom, the color doesn't necessarily mean like this is the color of, right. uh, you know, yeah. fats or <laughs> calcium, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a signing. but to have that distinction, uh, especially for medical professionals, probably not going to help somebody like me, except me going, "Oh, that looks pretty cool." But but it seems like that that is that is so not only innovative but extremely helpful yeah. when you're you know making a distinction between what's going on in an X-ray. Yeah, that's it. gonna it's gonna be ex- extremely helpful uh, because it just gives you more information. So yeah. All right, moving on. George Hotz has been giving reporters demos of his Level 2 autonomous car aftermarket system called Open Pilot from his company, Comma.ai. Open Pilot uh, 0.5, that's the the newest uh, software, adds facial tracking to make sure that a driver's eyes are on the road. And Comma.ai Explorer that lets users upload telemetry data and note disengagements to help improve the system for everybody. The latest version did remove Waze and Spotify to free up resources probably for the best, although Waze is pretty helpful. I don't know how helpful Spotify would have been. Open Pilot is compatible with all Toyota and Honda models, as well as some GM cars. Hardware can be purchased anywhere, and the software is free from GitHub. Yeah. Uh, this, this is interesting because Hots is out there saying all these other companies like Waymo, uh, they're trying to do something that they really can't do. <laughs> you know, and and the the companies are looking down at him like you're you're just trying to drum up uh, excitement for your little startup thing. Uh, but Hots is providing something that you can do right now today yourself. Waymo, Uber, any of these other companies are not able to let you have one of their self driving cars. Uh, and and Hots is like, and they won't ever be able to. They're going to need humans in those things for a long time, no matter what they say. He's like, you should think of it as assisted driving, and that's what he provides. You buy off-the-shelf hardware. You you stick it in in your diagnostic port. Uh, you add a couple of of uh, Bluetooth things uh, into your car. You make some you adjustments. You download the free software from GitHub, and Bob's your uncle. You've got a level two, not a level four but a level two autonomous car. And the reporters that, that tried it out all said, yeah, it worked really well. It, it felt like it made me a better driver. The, the big one is the facial recognition where if you are not looking forward for six seconds, it just shuts down the system and says you can't use it again until you've turned the car off and turned it on again. 
I love the story because it's actually conflating everything we just talked about, right? There was the uh, the the drone that you can get inside of and it stops being a drone yesterday. Regulations about that, regulations about facial recognition that says facial tracking. And we talked about cars having to have regulations about how you can build them and what you can do with them. We're just going to go get this here open source software and fling it into a box we bought off the internet and have it help us drive our car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it requires some side loading. It's a little little harder than, little than that makes it sound. But yeah, pretty what much. What about cameras? Don't you need cameras? Yeah, you need to, I mean, you need some forward facing cameras. I wish I I had some lidar. Maybe you need uh, Panda ODB sensor, draft bridge, and an Eon dash cam. Uh, the Eon dash cam is Android, so oh. you have to do a side loading on it. That's it. <laughs> What could possibly go wrong? This sounds awesome. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, I what could it. possibly go wrong is it just doesn't work and, and, and you have to drive yourself, right? It, you're not relying yeah. on it for too much either. Right. If your eyes aren't on the road, they're not on the road. You yeah. know, the, a tracking system to, uh, to, to determine if that, that, that's helpful. That is, you know, something that, that maybe some of us should have more of, but it's not going to keep your eyes trained on the road. You know, if you're looking down, you're looking down. Maybe we just need to install this so that it yells at us when we aren't looking at the road. Maybe it has big alerts, and then having it in there is better than us not having it in there. Well, because I mean, we all we all know how helpful our smartwatches are when they say "stand up" and you're in the middle of something, and you're like, yeah, "Shut up!" Shut up. <laughs> Shoot, you, that was two it. minutes ago. It's, my watch actually says "stand up" right now. <laughs> really? My watch usually yeah. says it while I'm standing up. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. uh, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. All right, there's one other story that's kind of a big story of the day, but it leads into a wider discussion uh, that Allison has been having about apps. Sources are telling Bloomberg that Adobe plans to announce a full version of Photoshop for the iPad at the Adobe Max Creative Conference in October. The app would supposedly be released next year, so they'll announce it in October for a 2019 release. Adobe's chief product officer of Creative Cloud, Scott Belsky, confirmed that the company is working on cross-platform iterations of Photoshop and other Adobe applications, but it did not he did not confirm timing or announcements. So whether this timing holds up or not, it does sound like Adobe wants to bring a full version of Photoshop to the iPod or to the iPad. And Allison, I know you're crazy about Affinity Photo and Affinity Designer on the Mac, and they announced yesterday that they're available for the iPad. So this seems to be the trend. The, well, the, even the, more than that, actually, Affinity Photo has been out on the iPad for quite some time, maybe like a year. And Affinity Photo, I know there's a lot of people who love Photoshop are going to say I'm full of it. But Affinity Photo is a really, really successful competitor to uh, Adobe Photoshop. And uh, I'm not a photographer. I'm not an artist, but I'm a member of some communities where I watch what these people are creating with it. And, and it's just insane. And what I wanted to talk about kind of was this this movement from the Mac to the iPad uh, that now is starting to happen. The big announcement yes, uh, just yesterday or the day before was that Affinity Designer, their vector design program, so the competitor to Adobe Illustrator, is available on the iPad now. The other thing is Affinity Designer is 20 bucks. Affinity Photo is 20 bucks. No subscription. So they're really starting, I think they're starting to encroach on, uh, on what uh, Adobe is doing. And it's kind of neat to see that pulling Adobe towards the iPad, even though they're coming very, very slowly. Um, but this also folds into another discussion. A lot of people are saying, oh, this is just deprecating the Mac and the Mac's not important anymore, blah, blah, blah. And I don't think that's uh, a concern of mine anyway, because the, the iPad is a fabulous tool to use with a pencil to draw and make art. I mean, that's why we used to have to buy a Wacom tablet to hook up to a Mac to, in order to do art. 
why add a tablet to a Mac? Why don't you just do it on the tablet? So, and, and they're coming up with some really innovative ways to, um, to let you use your fingers to do things like a shift key or an alt key, a control key. Those, uh, those controls are being made from the ground up in apps like Affinity Photo and Affinity Designer with your fingers. In addition, there's even, um, there's an app called Vectormate, Vectornator, Vectornator Pro from Vectornator.io. It's a free vector design program for the iPad. Now that's pretty, pretty crazy that it, that it's, you know, it used to be eight whole dollars and now it's free. It's very capable. It is not nearly what Affinity Designer is or, or Illustrator. But seeing these things come to the iPad is just fantastic because that is the right tool for the job, not this big, heavy desktop, in my opinion. Well, now that you say it like that, it makes me think, yeah, when people were starting to design on computers, I remember other people saying, huh, you're going to use a mouse and a keyboard to do what I do with a pencil and a flat surface. Screw (laughs) you. (laughs) And now we have the reverse, like, oh, you're going to do with a flat surface and a pencil what I do with a mouse and keyboard. Forget you. Well, Uh, when... When uh, uh, Adobe first um, released their, and, and now, of course, I can't remember the name of it, but it was the, the pared down version of Photoshop for the iPad some years ago. I was like, I'm not much of a Photoshop user. I'm certainly not a Photoshop whiz. There's a lot of features in there that I'm never going to use. But it was like, oh, that's cool. That's great. But for anybody who uses Photoshop uh, you know, for work or, or on, a, on, a, on a larger scale, you want the full version of Photoshop. And I know that Belsky is not necessarily confirming what Bloomberg is reporting here, but just, you know, it, it, let's just say for conversation that this is all happening. Adobe would not do this unless it had enough data to know that, especially with the iPad Pro, enough people would pay for this and want it. Yeah. And, 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 and it's not because they don't want to use their computers anymore, but hey, you have other devices. If they can sell more subscriptions, then they will they will they will do more on iOS. Exactly. Belsky's just saying he, it's not he's not saying when it's coming. He's he 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 obviously yeah. like you say, he's, he he knows people want it and they need it. Oh, Absolutely. the other thing is Affinity Designer or Affinity uh I'll get this right yet. Serif, the people that make all of the Affinity products also announced that in uh, they'll be having a public beta coming out shortly for their page layout program and that will come out on the iPad. I think they said October of this year. So they're iterating incredibly quickly to bringing these products to the iPad. And, and I think this is only going to get more interesting as Apple's UI kit gets into, into full play where people will be able to create things for the iPad that then they can put on the Mac mm-hmm. uh, more easily. They can develop to, for two yeah. platforms. So now yeah. things will just start to flow back and forth and we'll just be able to use the right tool for the right job. Well, and even, and just one more point, we even, as somebody who's kind of new to Creative Cloud, because I just bought myself a couple of months of Premiere because I needed Premiere Pro, um, you know, Photoshop, I'm not going to be using a ton of Photoshop, but I am going to be using a ton of Premiere. And if I have fully featured Premiere on a variety of devices, uh, and I can figure out how to do some more complicated editing on my iPhone. That's great. Uh, you know, I was at the airport this morning and the Wi-Fi just at SFO wasn't working, but LTE was working fine. It's like there are times where I could say, even if I prefer to use my computer always, I'm going to need to use one of my other devices that I might have on hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. All right. Thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. In fact, we called out a few of you today and we're going to keep doing it as long as you keep submitting stories and voting on them at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. We're also on Facebook. Hang out there with us as well. Facebook.com slash group slash dailytechnewsshow. But we also get your emails. Let's check the mailbag, Sarah. 
Craig wrote in and said, I just increased my Patreon pledge from a dollar per month to $5 per month. Thanks, Craig. Craig says, you're worth it. I come for the tech, but I stay for the good day internet discussions, which is good to know, Craig, that you like our food topics. Not to take away from the bread and butter of what the podcast is all about, but I really find GDI, that's good day internet, GDI, very entertaining. Off the wall discussions are a blast. Tom, Sarah, Roger, Allison, and everybody else, keep doing what you're doing because it's totally working for me. You all have good chemistry and it makes me want to laugh and listen. Oh, thanks, Craig. You're the best. Hey. I'm glad you enjoy that. And uh, to Charles from Sugarland, uh, I apologize uh, that it was confusing about Good Day Internet. He was he was having a hard time finding Good Day Internet on Patreon because the feed was still called DTNS. He's like, I can find the DTNS feed. I'm like, well, that's actually the Good Day Internet feed. So I have fixed that. I have changed the title so that it reflects that it's both of those. Uh, so hopefully that helps more people discover it as well. Uh, Craig also notes at the end of his uh, email to us that he is from Delaware. I had made a joke on a Good Day Internet some months ago that I wasn't sure Delaware was a real place because mm. I didn't know anybody who'd ever been there before. <laughs> and uh, Craig has set me straight. Thank you for being a listener from Delaware. All the other Delaware listeners, come forth. We want to know you. If you're real. <laughs> If you're real, and you might not be, hey, you know, it's uh, it's it's hard to say. What we do know is real is the wonderful uh, Allison Sheridan, who we love having on the show uh, as many Fridays and some other days as we can. Allison, it's been a while. What have you been up to? It has been. Well, you know, I was inspired by a question Tom asked on an episode of Patrick Beja's Phileas Club. He asked Wendy Denford, uh, who's a psychologist, who, uh, how to convince someone to change their mind. And, of course, she explained that you can't change somebody's mind. It can't be done. And specifically, you'll hear Tom often say you can't use facts and data to change somebody's mind. And I think that probably informed part of why he says that. So this last week in Chit Chat Across the Pond, which is one of my uh, podcasts, I decided to ask Professor Mary Ann Gary to explain to us why can't you convince someone with, with facts and data? She's a researcher in memory, false memory, and its effects on the law at the University of Waikato in New Zealand. She's also funny, really sarcastic, and is quite snotty to me during the interview. So it's fantastic stuff. <laughs> Go check that out, folks. Podfeet.com. Chit chat across the pond. It's good stuff. I've met Marianne. She's fantastic. Uh, so I highly recommend it myself. And thanks to everybody who supports this show. If you want to support the show directly, there's all kinds of perks involved. And you can find out about them at patreon.com slash DTNS. Hey, you want to send us an email? Are you from Delaware? Are you from somewhere else? <laughs> Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're also live Monday through Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. And you can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back on Monday with Justin Robert Young. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.